You probably have uh, be, are aware of this phenomenon over the last few years of uh, remodeling shows on television. Fixer Upper, uh, Flip or Flop, uh, Property Brothers. One of my favorites are these tiny house shows because I'm always trying to figure out how to get all that stuff into this little tiny house. And the ingenious ways they come up with to design space and things. And it just reminds me that how important our houses are to us. We want them to, to look nice. We want them to be functional. We want them to be a place where we feel comfortable and at ease. And that's what they should be. And that's a good thing. When you read Haggai's prophecy, you begin to see that not only do are we interested in our houses, but God is interested in his house. And Haggai's prophecy takes place at a time after the Israelites have come back from exile. For 70 years, they have been in Babylon. And they are there because uh, they have rejected God. They have turned against him. They worship the idols of the nations around them and the gods of those nations. And so they go into exile for 70 years. And then God begins to bring them back. And as they come back, they, they rebuild the wall around the destroyed city of Jerusalem. And they begin rebuilding places. And they start working on the temple that lies in ruins. But they get preoccupied with their own homes. They spend, they, they, so that the temple is neglected. And it's for 15 years or more, the people have just left the temple in ruins. And Haggai comes on the scene with a word from God who confronts them and says, so let's talk about this a minute. Why is it that you all are living in your luxurious homes and my home looks like that? And the outcome of that conversation is God seems to be saying to them, your view of my house is a reflection of your thoughts about me. One of the things that God says to them is that, He says, step back and take a look at your lives. Are you happy with them? Are you happy with how your life is going? Because what I see is that you plant crops and when you harvest them, you get a third of what you were hoping for. And when you you make wine, you get a fourth of what you're hoping for. And when you eat, you're never satisfied. When you drink, your thirst is never quenched. And, and money, you, you, you get money, but it's like you have holes in your pockets and it all disappears. Is this really the life that you want? Is life what you want it to be? And I think they look at each other and say, no. And he says, it's because you're not caring for my house. My house is in ruins and so I, I'm, I'm waking you up to this. I'm trying to help you understand how important this is. So I'm withholding blessings from you. Now, I don't think God is punishing them so much as he is saying, I can't bless you and send the message to you that it doesn't matter how you treat me in my house. I'll just bless you no matter what, because that will cause you and lead you to think I can live however I want to. The truth of the matter is when they when they are cutting themselves off from God, when they are cutting themselves off from the source of life and blessings, their lives are not blessed. And God is trying to help them to see the correlation. I mentioned to you last week that we have a new puppy in our house. And he's about four months old. We've had him for about, I don't know, five or six weeks. And uh, he's adorable, isn't he? Yeah. We, we have fallen in love with him so quickly. And one of the things we're trying to do with him is to, to train him about 
what's right and what's wrong. And so we are, you know, we're giving him treats when he does what is right and not when he, when he does what's wrong. But the hard part about it is, Cindy read a, one of the books Cindy was reading, said that it's hard to train puppies because they are just so cute. And, and you just want to give them whatever they want. You just want to let them do whatever they want to do. The problem is this little guy is a chewer. I mean, he chews on anything he can get his mouth on. Furniture, clothes, shoes, electrical cords. And so we are trying to keep him from doing that. And so we are rewarding him when he's not doing that. But that means we have, to, we have gates up around different places in the house so he's confined to certain areas so we can keep our eyes on him. We really wish we could just let him run. We wish we could just let him do whatever he wants to do and, and let him enjoy the whole house and let him enjoy whatever he wants to do. But we can't because if we did that, it would send the message that it doesn't matter what he does. He'll be rewarded. Even if it means something dangerous to him. And so until he learns what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, we have to confine what we really want to do for him. And I suspect there is something of that in what God is saying here. He wants to bless us. In fact, later on in chapter 2, he says, I want to, I'm going to pour out my blessings on you. You're not going to believe it. But if he does that without us understanding where those blessings come from, we live with the wrong impression of who God is and what it means to follow him. The question going through my mind about all of this is, why is rebuilding the temple such a big deal? I mean, why can't they just gather in people's homes? Why can't they just gather in the marketplace? Why can't they just gather anywhere? Why do they need to rebuild the temple? The time and the effort and the energy to do that is going to be incredible. Why do they need to do that? And the reason is because the temple has always been the visible sign of God's presence with his people. It is the visible sign of our God who wants to be close to us. So in the tabernacle, God says, build the tabernacle and I will dwell in this place. I want to be close to you. And the temple, the same thing. And when we come to the New Testament, we find in the passage we read from John, Jesus talks about himself being the temple of God. This, the God, because our, God is always about relationship. And the gospel is always incarnational. It's one of the things that sets God apart from all the other gods of the other nations is that he wants to be close to people. He wants relationship with people. And he is willing, even the infinite God who cannot be confined, chooses to inhabit space, finite space, in order to be close to us, in order to be present with us. God does that because when he does that, he is declaring that there are some spaces that are more special than other spaces. That sort of goes against the grain of how our culture teaches us to think that everything is equal. All places are equal. And to say that there is that this space is more special than that space rubs us the wrong way. We struggle with that. I think that's why we, we have, you hear a lot of people saying, I can worship God just as much, maybe even better, out in nature than I can in the church. I don't need the church. I can worship God anywhere I want to. 
But I find that that when that when people say that, they're not saying these places out here are are just as special as the church. They are saying the church is not near as special as you think it is. We all have special places in our lives. I mean, I certainly do. There's an apartment on the campus of George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon, where I I committed my life to the call of God on my life. And that's a special place for me. There's a, there's a golf course on the campus of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, where I proposed to Cindy. That's a special place for us. There's a United Methodist Church in Spencer, Iowa, where we were married. That's a special place for us. There's a hospital in Richland Center, Wisconsin, and another one in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, where our children were born. Those are special places for us. Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, where the Hoosiers play basketball. That's a special place for me. (laughs) We have special places in our lives. They're more important to us than other spaces. There is something about the temple, something about the church, about the building even, that God says to us is a special place. It is a place where we have an opportunity to sense how close God wants to be to us. Is it the only place we can encounter God and worship God? Of course not. But it is the central key place. Because it's here that we worship God together and we encounter God together and we learn the rhythms of life with God together. It's here that we are challenged about our walk with Jesus. It's here in which we find accountability and support and structure. It's here that we learn to refocus after living out in a world in which we are tempted continually to lose our focus. There is something important about coming to this place and all the other places where people gather for worship and learning and and, and And education, they're important places to know about God and to bond our lives together. That's why why we ask people during the prayer vigil to come to the prayer room. Because when when we come to the prayer room, my prayers get mingled with your prayers and your prayers with my prayers and everybody else's prayers. And when you walk into that space, the space that we have set aside for this purpose of worshiping God, of praying to God, of encountering God, there is something special about that space. And we do it together. And we remember in this space that our faith is not just personal, it is also corporate. And that is a significant thing for us to understand. Because the alternative is, without this space, the alternative is, it's just me and Jesus and that's all that matters. It certainly is me and Jesus, but it's also us and Jesus. And we all know if it's just me and Jesus, we are going to tend to get off track. We need this place. I think that the point of Haggai's prophecy... What he's trying to get to happen is to get the people moving. He's trying to get some action. He's trying to get some, some, some work to be done. And what he's really saying to them is your relationship to God is revealed. Your, your thoughts about God are revealed by how you treat my house. And so what I want you to do is start picking up stones. 
Start bringing in wood. Let's rebuild this thing. And that will mean everybody is making an investment. Every single person in Jerusalem is asked to make some kind of an investment to rebuild the temple. And God is asking all of us and all of his people to be people who invest in his church. That will be all about all that we are. That means what we do with our money is significant. Is a significant revelation about our relationship with God. It means that what we do with our gifts and our talents and our time and our energy, all of these things about who we are, all the ways, things that we have, that God has given us, we are called to invest them in the church. And maybe one of the most profound things that we can do is to, is to step back every so often and ask ourselves, so what does, what does what I'm investing say about my relationship with God? About how close I want God to be to me, how close I want to be to God. What does that say? I mean, Haggai is, is pretty confrontational with the people. I mean, he's speaking the word of the Lord. But in essence, he's saying... You are doing all these other things that you want to with what you have. What are you going to do about my house? About this place that's so vital to your faith and to your relationship with Yahweh. And we do this not begrudgingly. We do it joyfully. We do it in a spirit of humility. We do it because we are so grateful for what God has done for us. But here's the thing that I think is important for us to understand. Talking about all of this might give us the impression that what we do for the church is is very self-contained. That we're just sort of, we're just doing all of this for each other. And sometimes the church sends that message to people outside the church that everything the church does is very, is very self-centered and self-absorbed. And, and it's all about what we do for each other. And we're just worried about the church. But the reality is when you read, there are hints of it in Haggai, but you see it throughout all the minor prophets. And then you really see it throughout all the rest of scripture that the ultimate end of what we do about God's house is not self-serving. It is self-giving. It is about what we do here and how our faith is enhanced and enriched and grows so that we can be the most effective agents of God to the rest of the world. This is not a place where we come and everything just dries up here. This is a place that becomes ascending forth. It is, a, it is a river that we are creating that, that creates a stream out into the rest of the world. And I think sometimes we miss that. We, we learn from each other. We teach each other. We challenge each other. We are accountable to each other. We care about the facility and how it looks and, and, and what we do with it. Because ultimately, all of that is going to help us be better witnesses for God in the world right around us and around the world. And if we think that all of this, that we are the end of all of it, we are mistaken. 
And we will become a very self-absorbed, self-centered group of people. It only works. It only makes sense. It's only the church that God designs. This building is only what God intends it to be when what we do here leads us to be a place that people are attracted to and that we go out to to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, it really comes back to, all of this prophecy comes back to what Jesus is, is doing here in, in chasing out the money changers out of the temple. I mean, this is, Jesus is really angry here. And when you read Mark's, Mark's account of this, he says, he, he says to them, uh, you, my house is to be a house of prayer for the nations. And the reason for that is that the temple is, is divided up into sections and it sort of moved from, from the, the, the most uh, private out to the most public. And so you have the Holy of Holies where the high priest comes once a year and offers sacrifices. And then you have the place where the priests come and offer the daily sacrifices. And then you have the place, the court of the men, where Jewish men can come and, and they worship. And then the place where the Jewish women come to worship. And on the outside of it, the outer court is called the court of the Gentiles. And guess where all of these money changers are set up with all of their animals? It's in the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus says, how is anybody supposed to pray and worship God when you've got all these animals running around and all this business being transacted and all the noise and all the chaos of that? In essence, he's saying, look, you have misunderstood what this building is about. This building is about ultimately sharing Jesus with everybody else. That's ultimately what we're about. All that we do here is ultimately leading us to be more effective witnesses for Jesus wherever we go, wherever we may be, wherever we may send people. And however people may come to us. Haggai's bottom line is really this. Our view of God's house is a clear revelation of our thoughts about God. So what is our view of God's house telling us? Our level of investment, our our level of embracing God's house, what is it telling us about our thoughts, our understanding, our desire for God? And remember, this is the God who wants to be close to us. All of this is about the God who who continually does everything possible to be close to us. So that we can be close to him. And nowhere do we see that more clearly than at this table. When we remember that the infinite God takes on human flesh. And goes to the cross for us. To restore us. To redeem us. To be close to us. Holy Father, thank you for your church. We pray that you would give us a a larger vision of your church. This place and in this world. 
continue to help us to be people who trust you and whose hearts are reflected in our views in your house. Father, we pray your anointing upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink today, you will speak into our hearts your love, your grace, your mercy, your joy. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.